Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, guys? It's the uh, it's the Beast of the East podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. Also coming at you live from Willis Digital Media. Joining me is not Craig Ladd, but in a pinch hitting situation, Craig Ladd is out sick. We hope that he has a speedy, speedy recovery. But joining me is actually the man, the myth, and the legend. He's behind the scenes on this show, but he comes at you on uh, SEC After Dark. It is the Stephen Willis. What's up, man? Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I'm having a good time here. I'm getting a pinch hit. I've done Best of the West a couple of times. Um, COVID actually got Kevin for a couple of weeks and I pinch hit it over there and I'm going to pinch hit over here for a little bit and I'm going to get a nice, well-rounded thing. Normally I produce and I'm behind the scenes and let you guys do your thing. Um, but I'm happy to lend whatever I can. All right. Well, glad to have you. Our chat is up and running. As you see, uh, we've got the tweets going right below me. Uh, you can follow all my information. You can find me at believe in Georgia dogs, uh, the, the, that show, you can hit the bell, hit the notification, subscribe to us on YouTube, find us, whatever you, whatever you need to do. And also you really should be checking out the Palmcast too. Even if you're not a fan of old miss, it's just good stuff. It, it, it really is, man. It's a good show. I find myself watching it. I'm not even that big of an old miss fan, but well, we got a chat going. You can see some of the topics. We'll, we'll get to Joe. We'll get to Joe Milton. Uh, Kirby is definitely opening up the offense this year. Colton Gothier, Gothier. I think that's right. I hope it's right. Um, they, uh, he's got to be the starter. And then Ken Seals again. Uh, Matt Perkins is really high on him. Uh, I heard you had him on your show uh, recently. So that's, uh, that's pretty good. So uh, we are presented by betonline.ag. If you want a spot for live betting, if you want the place with the best odds, then that is the place for you. Bet online, man. And you know what? I might place I, – I keep saying it, right? I keep saying it. And I kept saying it. I'm going to try it out for the NBA, okay? I did it some for college football last year, and I've done the online casino. But I'm going to do it again for college football. I think it's fun. Um, but they have live bets during games or futures uh, for who you think will win the championship. Bet online has all the latest odds, news, and information for your online sports betting needs. So visit the website today or use your mobile device to join. Receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before that next big game, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sports book expert. Steve, welcome, man. I'm, I'm so glad you're here. We uh I uh I caught him. Oh, you, I caught you, got, him. you got the mouse. I got it. Okay. Uh, it. Okay. Did you get in a trap or did you catch it? Did you shoot stick, it? How did, how did it go? I caught my bazooka and just, um, it was a sticky trap, sticky trap. Okay. Sticky trap. So yeah, found him this morning about 3am heard him chirping. He was stuck. Hopefully he was the only one. I know this show is beast of the East, but Jake Thomas, our resident Alabama fan is on there saying we should take Alabama by 30. I'm not saying Miami's going to win the game, but that game should be a scary game to any Alabama fan. Yeah, There's Bama so by 30, I, I appreciate the confidence. I really yeah. do. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Not no. this early. Now, if Miami caught him like week eight, I'd probably say yeah. you're right. Yeah. 
by the end of the year. Like, like the beginning of the year, I think Oklahoma should be the preseason number one. I don't know if they'll be the number one team by the end of the year. Right. But coming into the season, Spencer, <laughs> old Spencer Rattler, QB1. So, um, but yeah, I appreciate the uh, appreciate the confidence, though, man. You got to love that, right? Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about this alliance thing. We didn't really get much into it last night on on SEC After Dark, but um, I still I woke up this morning. Um, it's okay to be a homer, Jake. Uh, woke up this morning and I still think it's lame. Oh, it, um, it, it's an absolute nothing burger. Nothing got done. It's no. I'm, I'm sitting here trying to work through what they were actually trying to accomplish by this and. The thing that I keep coming back to is this is simply a vehicle for Fox to destabilize the ACC and help their TV contract. And also, secondly, it'll give Fox an end for the expanded playoff and they'll delay it or try to delay it until that can happen. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just them trying weird tactics to. Mm eventually bring down the sec i i don't know it's weird but i, I don't think they're trying to um, bring down the sec um I, I i think they realize that what's happened the sec there's no catching the sec at this point but what they can do is affect the media and where espn owns most of the leagues in the country you can start to whittle down on that and maybe your network of choice can give you a little bit of extra time. They can spend more time on Fox talking about the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12 because ESPN and Disney is rightly going to talk about the SEC and those matchups happening every week. Yeah, exactly. They're just trying to they're just trying mm. to buy their way into some TV time. And mm. I, like I said, who knows what they're trying to accomplish? I don't really know. But uh, Brandon Hellwick says. As there will be no P, uh, Pac-12 lifeline for the eight Big 12 leftovers, Texas Tech AD is confirming the Big 12 is kickstarting the expansion process. That's exciting. Yes, yes. Um, the news today the, that the Pac-12 is not going to expand means basically the war between the American Conference and the Big 12 can truly kick off. And the winner of that is going to be either Fox or ESPN. If it's an ESPN going to win that, the teams will go over to the American. If Fox wins it, the Big 12 will continue to be a thing. As Fox tries to retain relevancy, um, that'll happen. So the Big 12 looking and trying to expand to Memphis, Central Florida, Cincinnati, maybe SMU or Houston or something like that. If they do that, I mean, let's face it. It's a G5 conference regardless of what happens. The Americans at G5 conference, even if you add those big 12 teams in, uh, I think power five or autonomous five or whatever they're calling it now, that should be stripped away from the big 12 no matter what happens. But it's going to come down to whether Fox or ESPN wins this, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think Fox is going to make a push because they're going to be willing to spend the money. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're already spending it on on NFL, so you know they're going to they're they're going to try to dominate ESPN every way possible. Because look at all of their sports pundits; it's basically the, the people that weren't good enough for ESPN. They they come over and they come over to Fox, and actually, you know what? They really are kind of. I, I really kind of dig the Fox shows more than I do the ESPN shows. If, if, if we really got to get the brass tacks here, but you know, I think Fox is willing to spend the money. So I, I think the big 12, that, that that's very possible that 
you could just see the Big 12 absorb the AAC and the AAC just completely dissolves and some of those teams just, you know, that they get left over at the bottom of the AAC will go uh, elsewhere. But um, it's interesting, all this whole alliance talk and, you know, basically realigning expansions and things like that. So stay tuned, man. Buckle up. Buckle up, buckle up. Yeah, real quick, Jake, um, the 12-team playoff, the person that said it was on life support was the chancellor of West Virginia, Big 12 chancellor. So take anything they say with a grain of salt because they want it to be on life support at this point. Um, So, yeah, just be careful. I still think the G5 schools, the American, the Sun Belt, Conference USA, the WAC, Mountain West, Mid-America Conference, those are the conferences, believe it or not, that are going to sign the – going to basically force their will on a 12-team playoff because those guys want access and they want money and they can't have it on a 14-team playoff. But with a 12-team playoff, they can get in the tournament. And they could probably likely get two spots too if mm-hmm. uh, if you really think about it. And uh, lights on. So, yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm excited for it. I, I would love a 12-team playoff, actually. I think mm-hmm. that'd be fun. Maybe mm-hmm. even expand it to 16. Just do – I mean, just go with it, man. It's like – you know, it's not too radical. I don't think that adds too much or anything like that. Not to not to get in the twelve team playoff discussion again, but you know, with, with all this realignment and people trying to get seats at the table, and really just people trying to get their hands on some cash, uh, is is really kind of where everybody's driving because this NIL stuff is going to get super super competitive. And if you can get some bold sponsorship money, why not, right? Yeah. Um, also, one of the things that the Alliance actually is trying to do that is actually a fairly good idea is the quarterfinal round, the round um, of 12 to four, that four game set there. It will be controlled by the power four conferences, the SEC, the ACC, um, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 to where the, those conferences can actually run those games and get the proceeds from them. So yeah, that, that, that's mean, a pretty good idea and will actually save the bowls for other avenues. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, let's, let's be realistic. I, I think, I think you should go high school style and just have G five, have their own national championship. Mm-hmm. Um, and P five have their own in, you know, FCS has, has theirs division two, division three on down. Uh, they all, they all have their own national championships. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I think if you're going to have because you're never I mean, even with a 12 team playoff, you're always just going to get that first round bid and, and that's it. And you're probably going to go up against Alabama or Clemson or somebody like that and get your ass handed to you. But, um, well, you know, well, I, well, let's 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 workshop this a little bit. Last year, Cincinnati would have made it into the playoff and that game again, that game would have probably been similar to Georgia. And that kick at the end of the game to allow Georgia to win, that would make Cincinnati's season. That game would have been the ultimate David versus Goliath story, but Goliath winning in the end. It was like, I don't uh, you know, you didn't quite get there, but they could have. And in any other position, I mean, that's a 53-yard field goal. A college kicker making a 53-yard field goal doesn't happen very often. Cincinnati was in a position to win that game, and that could very easily have been a 10-versus-7 game or something like that. It it, it could have been, but that's that's not the norm in those situations. Um, Cincinnati's a special team, but Mm -hmm. or they were last year. 
And that kicker that made that 53-yarder, he is now a scholarship player. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying he's not good. I'm just saying no, in no, college no. football, 53-yard field goal is no joke. No, I'm, I'm saying he's a walk-on. He was a walk-on uh, then. Yeah. Now, now he is a scholarship player. So he's doing some things right. That's what I meant by that. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I think I think it's a good idea in, in a lot of senses. I also would support G5 having their own national championship mm-hmm. so that they can have a like I would I would really I would watch a 12 team G, G5 playoff like that would be competitive, really good football, you know, because you get you know, you get a team from the loaded AAC, you get a team loaded from the mountain West and, and you clash them. Like, let's say, let's say Boise UCF in a national championship game or Louisiana pops up or Louisiana come, comes, comes knocking at the door or like, uh, or like the, the team of the year in, in the Mac at that, that always changes. That's a competitive conference. Actually, the Mac, there's a different winner every year, but, um, you know, you know, I, I, I would watch that man, like, like an app state, you know, BYU national, like a coastal Carolina BYU national, like that game right there was really fun. The BYU coastal game last year. Hmm. Like, just think about if that would have been the national championship for the G five, like that would have been like that. There's not like, I'm not saying that as a downgrade. I'm saying that like, if you want some good competitive made for TV playoff football, there you go. Like there's some really good teams in G five and you get some good competitive matchups you're going to get some viewers. Yeah, and and honestly, um, I love that idea. But even a 12-team playoff where the whole FBS is participating in that, you still have the opportunity for somebody like Coastal Carolina to come in there and play against a Georgia to get that opportunity to do that. And then it becomes a 116-215 type matchup from the NCAA tournament to where that that excitement can build there. Now, those teams don't win. They lose the game 95% of the time. But the one time it comes up, the one time Virginia is there, sorry about that, Virginia, but the one time they're in there and mess up, it becomes a story for the remainder of the playoff. It becomes just, um, yeah, it becomes a story the remainder of the playoff. Not this year, forever. Yeah, no, no doubt. It's it, it goes down in Lord. I I, I do mm. like that aspect of it too. So don't get me wrong on that. Mm. Do you think Cincinnati would have made a run? I, it, I think that first game, if they'd have gotten past that first game, they'd have had the chance to be an eight seed probably. So like on a twelve team playoff, they'd have been an eight. So they'd have probably in that first game played a seven. So they'd have a relatively easy matchup uh, or even matchup in that first game. And if they get past that one, all of a sudden you have Alabama and you have Alabama and Cincinnati, you know, round of eight NCAA tournament. Everybody would have watched that because Alabama had trouble with mobile quarterbacks. Matt Corral ate them up. Desmond Ritter would have eaten them up. Yeah, does I like Desmond Ritter? He's mm-hmm. a kid out of a kid out of Louisville. Um, so I, I, I uh, I'm all for it. But the alliance thing that was a whole nothing burger. So let's talk quarterbacks. Real quick, Kenneth Ford, yes, it's all about money and the Big Five. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's all about the money. It always mm. is, always will be. Mm. Now it's just more legal to pay these kids. So that's yeah. the only difference. Yeah, so, the funny, funny thing is NIL has been happening for 20 years, as Jimbo said. They just didn't tell anybody about it. Yeah, like NIL NIL happened to uh, um, Eric Dickerson. And uh, Craig James at SMU, <laughs> they were in IL all over the place, and they told everybody about it. Yeah, 
<laughs> and they and they got shut down. So um, can you imagine like if they're in a major conference now? Look, like if I'm the Big Twelve, I had SMU just for the store, just for the rivalry with TCU uh, in the same city, just for the just for the fact that like I'm gonna try to get as much of the uh, as much of the uh, Southwest Conference. Absolutely, you get Houston, you get Rice from Conference USA. Um, you get SMU in there. You rebrand the Big 12 because you want that nightclub thing of rebranding. You call it the Southwest Conference again. You don't have Texas. You don't have Texas A&M. You don't have Arkansas. You know, that You know that doesn't happen. But you have a true Southwest Conference again. And just go from there. It, it, mm-hmm. I, it could be pretty special if you just embrace the niche. Don't Do try it. to be something that you're not. Just embrace the niche, be a Texas conference, a Texas centric conference, and make the best that you can do. It'll be good football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be. I, I think there's some good rivalries there, some good competitive matchups. I mean, you, you're obviously not the Big Ten, Pac-12, SEC, or ACC, but you're you're like you're kind of in that purgatory between P5 and G5, which is kind of a tough place to be. But you're going to get some competitive rivalries, like. Houston SMU, SMU TCU, you know, Tech Baylor. Uh, you, you'll still have the Kansas schools. You'll still have Iowa State. Uh, you'll still have West Virginia in the mix. And then you get you you throw in a Memphis to kind of add another kind of Eastern team there. And then, then you're, you're good to go. Like, I, I think you're I think you're in good shape there. I think there's some good up and coming programs um, in the American that could really thrive in the Big 12. So, I mean, do it. Do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, QBs, right? Right. Let's do it. All right. So last night we, we talked a little bit about uh, the Tennessee quarterback situation. They haven't officially named Joe Milton the quarterback. They're being very tight-lipped, and I don't know why, because it's going to be Joe Milton. Yeah. Like, we all know it, right? He's going to win the and job. He's going to win the job. I mean, everything you read, it's like, Joe Milton, Joe Milton, Joe Milton, Joe Milton, Joe Milton, Joe Milton. Oh, and uh, Hinton Hooker and Harrison Bailey got a, a few reps too. That, that's like the stories, right? That's the storylines. And I, I don't know why they're being so mum about it. Just go ahead and name them QB1. And let's, let's get it over with because you, you got Bowling Green rolling into town Thursday. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. And uh, you got Bowling Green rolling in town and, and, you got to have a starting quarterback named. I mean, Joe Milton is guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I talked about last night that I'm surprised that he fits into Joe, Josh Heupel's uh, offense because I, I just thought his skill set and what Josh Heupel asked his quarterbacks to do at UCF weren't exactly the same. But maybe there's a whole new dimension that he's got, or maybe there's a whole skill set that I don't know about about Joe Milton. And so we 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 sort of we we started to dive into and then. Then uh, ADD radio took over, but um, we kind of started to dive into like diagnosing Joe Milton's problems. Like why did he struggle at Michigan? And was it, was it an inconsistent scheme of uh, a combination of Josh Gaddis and Jim Harbaugh trying to put something together? Was it Joe Milton just not comfortable yet? Was it because he didn't get a bunch of reps due to COVID uh, a weird COVID season? You know what? You know, there's a lot of things you you can point to, but one of the things you can't point to is he's beat these other two guys out at Tennessee. 
Yeah. And in Michigan, I do think it's a weird thing with Josh Gaddis and um, Jim Harbaugh to where Gaddis has a certain way that he wants to do something. And that doesn't mesh with what Harbaugh wants to do. So Harbaugh is constantly tinkering with the offense and you know, I always talk about Kirby putting his thumb on the offense. He's His thumb is always going to be on the offense. That's his. That's his baby. He's an offensive coach and everything, and he's a, he's he's got a little bit of an ego. It's probably hard to, hard to a, take. A, a little bit? Yeah. It's probably <laughs> hard to take. It's like, hey, yeah. we respect you. We want you to be your head. We want you to be our head coach, but we don't want your offense, which is everything that he built his career on. So – I think that a lot of that pro style stuff happened. That Dan Marino, John Elway, mid '80s type stuff that Harbaugh grew up. The Bo Schembechler stuff. That's what he's going to ask his quarterbacks to do. That's the reason Shea Patterson struggled up there, because if you can't do that and struggle doing that, you're not going to succeed in that offense. Josh Heupel does not ask his quarterback to do that. We're talking a bunch of one and two read stuff. And a lot of times the first read is the, is going to happen because the play is going to be designed for that to happen. Yeah, exactly. And there's some RPOs built in there too, as mm-hmm. well. And, and that's kind of like, that's kind of like the progression of, of what, what that offense is, is like, and it's very fast paced and, you know, it, it's very friendly for for quarterbacks that can escape the pocket because you're spreading guys out and you're, you're getting these run lanes. So I, I think, you know, it's very conducive to to an athletic quarterback. Like I think Shea Patterson would have killed at Tennessee last year. Hmm. Like I, I think, you know, I think if they had this situation last year at Tennessee and 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 I think they would have been maybe a little bit better because they had some guys around. Like like, just think if there was a legitimate quarterback there throwing the ball to Josh Palmer and, and handing the ball to Eric Gray and Ty Chandler. Like think, mm-hmm. think how much better they probably would have been just with that simple fact alone, if they would have had a legitimate quarterback and, and, or if they would have given a legitimate shot to Harrison Bailey. I mean, I, I think he did some good things, but they just never really seemed to give him a shot because, you know, I think it got to a certain point where Pruitt was like, yeah, if, if, if this guy comes in and, and does well, I'm going to look like an idiot and I don't want to look like an idiot. And his ego kind of got in his way a little bit. Yeah. And I think with Jeremy Pruitt, he fell into that trap that old school coaches fall into. And that is that um, our offense is so complex. A freshman can't pick it up. Our offense is so complex. A freshman can't pick it up. And eventually that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So that freshman is not going to perform at the level that he could have um, done because he's not expecting to do it. And in Pruitt's offense, I mean, there's a lot of that old timey football stuff that just messes with the psychology of a quarterback. And Harrison Bailey came in essentially with his hands tied because he didn't think he was going to be able to do that well because nobody could. So I, I really just hate it. When I hear coaches coach say he's a true freshman and he can't pick up our system, it just, it just makes me cringe all over because, I mean, you're hurting the quarterback there. You're, you're disproportionately um, talking about your system because if it's that complicated with the 20, 20 hour rule, they shouldn't be doing it anyway. Yeah. And, and it's a disservice to the team because mm-hmm. you've got a guy like Jerry Garantano who's proven that he can't get the job done. He's proven that he's going to turn the ball over at inopportune times. He is, he's like that. He's like that roach you try to kill and you just can't, he just keeps coming back. Like he has a bad game after bad game after bad game. Then all of a sudden he has a string of, of, of passes where you're like, where did that come from? 
and then you believe in him again, and then boom, he lets you down again. Like that, that's that's his MO. And and, and I hate to say that about it about a kid, but that's just kind of the way it was. That's the way it went for him, right, wrong, or indifferent. That's just the way it was. And for them to keep trotting him out there, I, I think the team saw that as, okay, we're, this is, this is not good. Like this is, we can't do this and we can't support this. And, you know, guys start like, guys are like, man, if this is the way it's going to be, like the best guy's not playing. Like I, I don't, I don't get this. And and so they just, they just kind of fell off and, and, and I, I don't, I don't blame them one bit. So, you know, and Harrison Bailey lost confidence mm-hmm. uh, in, in the system. I mean, you you bring in Jim Chaney, you, you just you know I I I don't I don't get why he's still getting offensive coordinator jobs because you know he's shown that he's going to be remarkably mediocre. Let know? me show let me show you something. Oh, oh no, he's dusting it off. Do you know what this is? That's the old Cutcliffe offense. That's the old David Cutcliffe offense from back in the day. That's from 2000. This is actually Mike McIntyre when he was a wide receivers coach playbook when he was at Ole Miss. There's about 600 pages in this Bible for the offense. This would not fly today. You cannot go fast and be this complicated. No, you can't. And if you and if you try to teach this system in modern football, you're going to get fired. Period. You're going to get beat, and then you're going to get fired. Yeah, and even Cutcliffe, I mean, cut, give all, give Cut all, all the credit in the world. He figured that out, and he simplified, and he, he kind of got with the times, and that's why he was good at Duke. Uh, and, and he's struggling a little bit now at Duke just because it's Duke and it's hard to recruit there. But um, And I think Cutcliffe's at, at the end of his rope, and he's getting ready to retire, and you know how that goes. But um, – I love Cut. He's a great coach. Yeah, but, fantastic. Uh, I'd run through a brick wall for him. And uh, you know, I, I think the only the only two quarterbacks to have done well under Jim Chaney are Drew Brees and Jake Fromm. And Jake Fromm even regressed in that offense. So what, what does yeah. that tell you? Yeah, it was almost a surprise that he did well his freshman year. Whenever they kept things simple for him, it was another situation where that offense was too complicated, mixed with Kirby, just like hey. We need just we're up seventeen to ten. We need we we need to keep it. Well, you have two first round running backs in the backfield. Um, you know that that kind of mm. fuels that fire. But mm. and but I mean he made plays when he had to and turned and handed off to Sony and Chubb when he didn't have to. So that was kind of a perfect storm of like the perfect roster for that team. Like Jim Cheney kind of kind of struck lightning in a bottle there with with that with that whole deal that rose bowl um, was legit though man that oklahoma game was fantastic it was man it was it was so much fun i mm. i was like this though mm. <laughs> watching it man <laughs> i was like a the start of it i was pissed i was like oh no this is bad so but i mean you, you got to be able to digest the system you got to mm. be able to do well and I, I think that's been a breath of fresh air for for Todd Monken. I mean I, to 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 see that you have a legitimate battle uh for the number 2 quarterback position because obviously JT's number 1 JT picked it up fairly well transferring in he picked it up pretty easily uh Brock Vandergriff Carson Beck have picked it up really you know really easily I don't want to say easily but they they've picked it up it, it, enough to have uh confidence to be to be that number two guy if jt goes down so i mean you, you have quarterbacks battling out just think just think uh, about justin fields in a todd monkin system would have been scary mm-hmm. justin fields 
like if you want to go back to that situation that was that was dug up that that whole deal with that the whole dead horse was dug up and beaten some more when them when them two faced off at the preseason uh, bills versus bears and to be honest i don't think jake Fromm would have done i mean jake Fromm. i don't think justin fields would have done well at georgia because i don't think the system would have allowed him yeah yeah it would have been it would have been like joe Joe milton at michigan yeah i I think it would have been a bad it was a bad fit yeah it was a bad fit now if it was todd monken i think Fields would have beat him out, and and we'd be singing a different tune. I mean, Fields is a better quarterback than Fromm, but Fromm was – that was the best system for Fromm. And then when Chaney moved on and they had uh, and they had the other dude, uh, James Coley, calling plays for a year, that would have been a disaster for Fields. And, and you mm-hmm. probably he probably wouldn't have got drafted in the first round. It would have been a disaster. So I, I, I think Fields made the right move. Yeah, he I made the right call. It. Yeah. I hate to say it. Um, I was upset when he left, but um, and I was upset of uh, kind of how he left. But I understand why he left. I understand what he was going after, and he got a great opportunity to Ohio State and offense that fit him. And you know, Ryan Day is a top-notch coach. I, I I like what he does, and and so I mean, he benefited. I mean, good for Justin, right? Not to be beast of the Big Ten, but that Kevin Wilson offense. Um, what he used to do in the mid 2000s at Oklahoma, that stuff mixed with the stuff that Urban Meyer does has been a fantastic fit for that offense. It, it really has. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really like it's kind of the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. It's it's very fast paced, RPO based. They've kind of they've kind of molded a lot of the option game into the RPO world to kind of modernize it. So you're not really running the quarterback as much. He's really just making dual and, 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 tri- and triple reads or second level, third level, first level uh, RPO reads now instead of pulling the ball and running it in different various option uh, uh, scenarios. And it's been really, really good for these Ohio State quarterbacks. And yeah, I think with Justin Fields, he's going to be really good in the pros because of it, because the pros is more of that system now than than what he used to do when he was in Utah and Florida and, and stuff like that. Like it's it's a more pro ready offense so and ryan day has really kind of put his spin on it which which is even better yeah yeah uh it's it's ohio state ohio state and 13 other guys in that league um they're just completely texas and oklahoma and it or in the big 12 you know away from the rest of the competition michigan is just michigan like i said michigan tennessee and nebraska they're the same program they're they're the exact same program it's bad. I got to give some love to Wisconsin. They're 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 actually a, a very competitive team in, in the Big Ten. They 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 give Ohio State a lot of times, sometimes not, but uh, you know, a good bit of time as well. They give Ohio State all they can handle. But um, looking forward to whiskey versus Illinois. I want some old time ten to three football. Yes, yes. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you better tune in early because that thing's going to end fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's going to end really fast. But um, Colton Gavier, speaking of uh, fast, I don't know if he's fast, but I, I needed a transition there. But um, that quarterback battle, Luke Doty, we talked about it a little bit last night. Luke Doty just just doesn't, doesn't do it for me. Like, he's a good leader. I think he's got some of the intangible stuff that you look for in a quarterback. But I just don't – as far as, like, just playing the position – I don't think he's the guy. Yeah, I don't think I don't think so either. Um, Luke Doty is either a guy that in 
10 years ago would have been moved to tight end. Um, And now is probably going to look to transfer out the door and he'll end up someplace like Liberty or coastal Carolina and run those quirky offenses that he he would be able to do that. That would be a better fit for him. Now we don't know what Shane Beamer is going to do offensively. We haven't seen it. We need we need to see them line up. Are they going to be what Lincoln Riley does at Oklahoma? Are they going to be what um, his daddy was at Virginia Tech? Are they going to be like at, when he was at Mississippi State or Spurrier? Who knows what they're going to be like, and who knows the right fit? All I do know is this. Two quarterbacks last year was at the top of the board for Ole Miss, Luke Altmyer and Colton Gauthier. So if Lane Kiffin knows that guy can play, that guy can play. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's, you know, I, I, he's got to win that battle. Like, mm-hmm. and, and that's one that they haven't really, uh, they haven't really decided on either. I don't know what they're waiting on, but um, I, I think you got you to gotta look at that and say, this has got to be far and away what our quarterback situation is going to be. Are they going to try to roll it over into the Eastern Illinois game on Saturday to kind of use it as another live evaluation? I don't know. Like, I think that'd be stupid. I think this is what I think is happening. I think that as long as Luke Doty is hurt, they don't want to do it. They don't want to Wally Pippy. They want him to come back and Colton Gauthier to, to be named when he's fully healthy. Um, you know, because if they name while um, Luke Doty's hurt and that excuse is there, Luke Doty's gone. He's out the door. Yeah, yeah. He, he's got to be. Mm. And, you know, <laughs> he's going to be out the door anyway, right? Mm. Yeah. Mean, you know, and Zeb Nolan coming from <laughs> grad assistant. Is he going to win the starting battle? No, he's probably not. No. Um, but he's, he's, a, a, he's a service team body. Yeah, he has some highlights though. Mm-hmm. He has some highlights. Um, but uh yeah, I, I think it's I don't know, like it's weird, right? Mm-hmm. It's weird how they're handling this. Yeah. South Carolina, um, everybody thought they were gonna hire Billy Napier. Um they, honestly they didn't have the money for Billy Napier. If you look around the people that made changes last year, except for Auburn, because they were willing to go in the hole to do it. Um they went cheap. They went assistance. They tried to do something. They, it was one of those situations where they fired their current coach. It was like, well, we are out of money after paying that buyout. So what do we do? Well, we go get Steve Sarkeesian. We go get Shane Beamer. Go get the best option you can get because somebody like Billy Napier, you couldn't afford him. You couldn't afford to get him. And, yeah. and doing that means that this year is going to look a little bit weird in some places. <laughs> and one of those places is going to be Columbia, South Carolina. It's going to look really weird because, yeah. like, the pedigree that Shane Beamer has, he's never been a coordinator. Mm-hmm. Not not saying that that means he's going to be a bad head coach, but like, you, you skip a step in the in the progression, like, you got to struggle, right? Ed Orgeron at Ole Miss, he came from defensive line coach to head coach. But then you also look at Dabo Sweeney, wide receiver coach to, yeah. Yeah, to to interim to now he's winning national championships. So I mean, you could either be Dabo or you could be Ed O. I don't think there's ever any. I don't think there's ever been any in betweens. I think it's either like this dude was like a legendary coach or this dude flopped. And and yeah. most of the, most of them are this dude flopped because like to run uh, in college football, 
and even in the NFL to, to be a coordinator is basically like being a sub head coach. Like you, you, you're a head coach of one branch of the tree, whereas the head coach is the, the, the head coach of the entire tree, the offensive defense and, and, and even special teams coordinators uh, to a certain degree are, are head coaches of their branch. And, you know, it, it's like for you to, for you to just skip a step in that, in that climb to the top is just, it's odd. Yep. And, and there's a whole lot of things that he's dealing with that he's probably never even had, like that you would get a taste of as a coordinator, even he he's got no experience with that stuff. Yeah. And and so he's, he's just going to struggle with the rigors and demands of being a head coach, you know, outside of the game of football. Yeah, it's conversations he's never had. Also, Jake, believe it or not, I can answer that question about UAB. Bill Clark wants an Alabama pension as a state employee. He's been he's real close to that. That's the very reason that whenever they shutter the UAB football program, he kept his job at UAB, even though they didn't have football, because he was trying to get that pension. So he's limited to where he was willing to go to the state of Alabama. Now, who would that be? Would that be Troy? Would that be a step down? South Alabama, a step down. He's not getting the Alabama job. Nick Saban's doing that. He's not getting the Auburn job. So it becomes a where's he going to go? Exactly. That, I mean, you hit the nail around the head. He's not getting either of the two power jobs in that, and anything mm-hmm. else would be a step down with what he's done uh, at UAB. Uh, and, and South Alabama would almost be, would be one slight notch above – going to McGill tool in high school. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not, you know, th- there's no situation in the state of Alabama where you're going to win if you, you know, unless you go to the, the, the two big boys, you know, so you're either at Troy, Troy's a good job, yeah. but I mean, lateral is, doesn't make much sense. Yeah. South Alabama is like one step above North Alabama. Yeah. Like North Alabama's division two, I think. Yeah, no, <laughs> I am aware. <laughs> Okay. Yes. So um, that, that, that's, that's why on, on, on that scenario, Jake. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's just for, for, for Shane Beamer, he, he's like this whole situation. Like, I, I don't think he's handling it very well. I, I, I think, you know, I, I thought he did okay at SEC media days, but I just, I don't know, like it, it's, it's going to be a struggle for him and what's going to happen. Like, they're not used to losing. Mm-hmm. So you have to go back to Lou Holtz whenever they put the zero on the board for wins. That was for what, yeah. when, when was that? Probably 2003. I think it was, it was 2000. 2000? Somewhere was, around it was, there. It was right before I graduated high school. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think it was the 2000, 2001 season, maybe. I think it was right, right as I was graduating. I think they went 0 and 12. Then, then I had my senior year of high school. They they won a couple of games and made a big deal about it, because uh, because one of my former teammates played up there. He signed and, and played at South Carolina. He went through that whole deal, okay. that whole ordeal, and and he played. Uh, he was a starting. He was the. Here's how. This is how weird this is. Like they had, they at right at the right tackle position. They started. Uh, they they made a decision to start week in and week out depending on who the defensive end was. If it was a fast guy, they'd start my 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 former teammate. If it was like a you know big overpowering dude, they'd start this other guy. 
So uh, let's see. Is that was that the time when they had? Did they have Dondrell Pinkins at that point? See the quarterback yeah. then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it was it was weird. Like, it, like my my teammate always started against Florida because they would go against uh, what's his name, um, Alex. What is it? Oh, I know who you're talking about. The, he wore thirteen. Yeah, I know exactly like, who you're talking about, but I can't play, remember. Play, play. Played in the NFL for a long time. Played for the Bears for a while. Jake, do you know that? So, so yeah. Anyway, he would start against him every year, and he actually he actually held his own. But um, getting back to the quarterback situation, like, come on, it's Colton Gauthier, right? Yeah, it's it has it has to be Gauthier, Gauthier, yeah, or Gauthier, uh, Gauthier, Gauthier, hmm. Gauthier. Well, we got to wait till they, they announce it so we learn how to pronounce it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, looking at the other quarterback situations are, are, are pretty settled. Uh, obviously, Kentucky did the right thing and went ahead and named their QB one. They could have drugged that whole thing out, but they didn't. They went ahead and decided that Will Levis was in fact the guy, um, mm. which is what they should have done. Like if they if you know, go ahead and pull it. Go ahead yeah. and do it. If other you than know, other than eating a banana like a psychopath, I mean, he's the right guy for the job. Yeah, I mean that's that's weird, but yeah. Um, but you know, if if you know, go go ahead and do it. Go ahead and name it. Go ahead and pull the trigger. Will Levis. They made they were they were very decisive on that. Tennessee, although they won't say it, but all their actions speak to mm. how decisive they are in Joe Milton. So I don't really hold that against them. They're not really saying it, which is weird, but um, they they they're they're decisive. You can tell by the reps. Tennessee, I know why they're doing this because the Pittsburgh game in week two is their season, their chance for a bowl game. So they're going to harm Pittsburgh any way they can. And by not now announcing the quarterback and not announcing what's going on, they can't prepare for the quarterback because him and Hendon Hooker and then Harrison Bailey has three completely different styles of guys. If you have to prepare for all of them, you can't prepare for, prepare for any of them. That that is very very true, and, mm. and and you know part of me also thinks Tennessee is going to try to get all those guys reps. They're going to try to play more than one guy. Mm. I, I I only saw that work once, and that was like Jesse Palmer and and who who was he? Terry Dean maybe was it Terry Dean and Jesse Palmer? No, no, and no it was. Uh, uh, Rob Johnson, I think, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's the only time I've ever seen that work. And that's just because Florida had better players than everybody else. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I could have played quarterback for that Florida yeah. team. I mean, it was God almighty. Like that you, nobody could get to them. Do you know Florida was the last team to um, win their first national championship? Win the national championship and it be their first. And that was way back in like 1995. That's 25 years of teams that have won it before winning it again. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That was, that's a look at you with these interesting fun mm-hmm. facts. Yeah. Okay. Everybody get your, get your notebooks out again. Write that fact down because that's going to win you trivia too. Yeah. You're going to, absolutely. You're going to look. <laughs> Florida was the last team to win their first national championship. Wow. Okay. So there you go. So um, I uh, let's look ahead, right? What What do you say? 
Yeah, let's go ahead. Let's talk a little Tennessee and Bowling Green. Let's talk about the Falcons. I don't know anything oh, yeah. about the Falcons. Other than their their color scheme is just god-awful. Oh, anybody yeah. that chooses actually to have the Cleveland Browns color scheme, they should be stoned. They really, really, really mm, should it's, be. It's, it's terrible. Yeah. And they <laughs> – the Cleveland Browns should be the only team mm. rocking that. So let's give a little tale of the tape. I mean, we – We've talked ad nauseum about Tennessee and what they bring to the table, which is really kind of not much. But um, so let's look at Bowling Green, right? They were uh, they were 0-5 in the MAC. Uh, they played five game MAC schedule. Uh, Scott Leffler in his third year has an astounding record of three and fourteen. Ooh, yeah. Um, they were supposed to bring the offense. They haven't been able to do that. Um, the uh, the D has been worse. It was uh, yeah. This is about as bad as it gets, right? Um, they averaged 326 yards and 11 points per game. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to find some good news here. It's I'm struggling. <laughs> um, but but they're a team that for whatever reason they, they play hard. I guess they try, but they're just not very good. Uh, they have an off. They have a tackle, Joe Ware. Um, He's looking to transfer. Uh, they lost their center to Western Kentucky. Uh, they have a they have a young offensive line, which is going to be a disaster. Running back Andrew Chair left for Northwestern, but Terry and Stewart is coming back. He he led the team with. Okay, this is not a joke. He led the team with 295 yards and four touchdowns, um, and he had all of the touchdowns scored by that position. Um, you're overhauling the receiving core. Quentin Morris is at tight end. The top two wideouts, Julian Ortega Jones, he transferred. Noah Massey transferred. 6'4 redshirt freshman Tyrone Broden. He is leading that group. So that's that's who's left. You have Matt McDonald. Um he became <laughs> this is terrible. He became the best of the quarterback. He, he <laughs> listen to this completion percentage. I'm not lying when I say this. 44% of his passes Ooh. with a touchdown and six interceptions. Um, yeah. uh, they, they, uh, I think they get a transfer Drew Gunther from Syracuse, 6'3, 220. Um, so he's going to win the job? He if better. He's bre- if he's yeah. breathing, <laughs> if he can fit into the uniform. Good grief. So <laughs> that's offense. <laughs> that's the offense, ladies and gentlemen. Bowling and, Green. Uh, yeah, and the defense of Tennessee is supposed to be the, be the weak spot, but do you make it sound like I don't I don't know how they're going to score. They're not. Yeah. So that means um, Jake Thomas said Tennessee is a thirty-four and a half point favorite, and I did say earlier this week that I wasn't sure that Tennessee was thirty-four points better than anybody. Well, I'm about to tell you why they're thirty-four points better. All right. The defense had just one takeaway. Ooh. They they were the worst run defense in the nation. Statistically, the pass defense was was good, but uh teams ran for 310 yards per game. So oh, people goodness. people weren't throwing much on them. So they their their sample size was a little bit smaller. Um they lost they lost three of their best players. Um, Roland Walder, 
Uh, he was the leading playmaker. He's gone. Uh, let's see. Positives. Oh, okay. Let's see what some positives are. Uh, six foot, 235 sophomore pound, sophomore linebacker, Darren Anders. He's coming back. Um, he's a hitter. He led okay. the team in tackles, right? It's a young group. Uh, there's no beef up front. Um, they're looking for a pass rusher. Uh, three of the four secondary starters are back uh, outside of the one that, that transferred. Uh, Kay, they, uh, they're missing Caleb Biggers at a corner. Um, but the team didn't come up with an interception. Good grief. How does I get, I guess this is just a weird COVID thing because it kind of bit Ole Miss defensively last year too. It, 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 yeah, yeah. They're just not good. It's, it's one of those things where the coach is going to come out against Tennessee and tell everybody, hey, they're on scholarship too, and you're going to say, how? Yeah, <laughs> like like with Ole Miss, like you could tell with Ole Miss that, you know, as crazy as it was and, and as many jokes as there were to be had at, at, their, at the expense of the Ole Miss defense, like you could tell that like had they had a regular offseason to work on tackling and running to the ball and overall scheme things, they would have been just fine. Yeah. Yeah. Bowling green has no talent. Yeah. It's just, how does they, that happen? Maybe, maybe Scott, did you say Scott Loeffler was his name? Yeah. Loeffler. Um, yeah. Loeffler. Maybe he just isn't an organized guy. Maybe just he's in over his head as a head coach. He's um, gotta be. Yeah. Like, I, because they went, see. they went three and nine, and then they went zero and four, or zero and five. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't see yeah. like, I, I don't see how he like, you know, obviously he did well enough somewhere as an offensive coordinator to to get this job. Uh, he was at Auburn at one point in his career, um, but like, how could they be this bad at offense? Like, you're a Division One college. Like, how can you not? You're a Division One college. In Ohio. Yeah, I guess Scott Lofer would have been a Tommy Tuberville assistant. Maybe Gene Chizik the one year after Gus Malzahn left. Yeah, like. Somewhere in there. But but I'm going to say this again. Like, you're a Division One school in Ohio. Hmm. Like, it, it, it ain't like you're in Massachusetts where there's like no talent. It's not like you're in Connecticut where like the top 15 guy, the only 15 guys that can play division one football are all going to Penn state and Michigan. Mm. You know, you're in Ohio, like the leftovers in Ohio are pretty damn good. Yeah. I mean, it's a populous state. It's, it, yeah, it's, I, a, it, it's, it's a good high school football state. Like how can you not recruit better? Now, like you, you're in control of that. Yeah, you absolutely are. Like, I mean, I don't get it. You're a Division One college, not not to go around the Mac. Yeah. This is the uh, this is the Maction podcast. But, yeah, um, I'd listen to that. By the way, no, I would. I would totally listen to that. Maction and the Fun Belt. Yeah, I would absolutely yeah. listen to that. Absolutely, uh, that would be. Oh man, maybe. Beast of the East. Maybe we should go to Maction and Fun Belt. No, um, maybe we can have a segment on on Maction and Fun Belt. Yeah, I, I'll we, make. We might have I'll to make, do that. I'll make sure that our 
that in our picks we 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 include some action and some and some fun belt games. Yeah, Tuesday night in November. Let's do it. Let's do it. So Tuesday night football. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, that to, to get an idea of this is a confidence built. I say all of that about Bowling Green to say that. Tennessee is going to have some confidence going into this Pittsburgh game. Mm-hmm. Like they have no choice to. Yeah. So. From everything you said, um, I look at this and I think 45 to 10 Tennessee, which would be a cover. I do believe. Yeah. Like I'm not touching this game with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. But I think they're going to score. I think um, Joe Milton is going to do different things. Basically, like I said, the, this style of offense, if you are a Tennessee fan, it tortures linebackers. It's designed to torture linebackers. They can't be right. And you get them moving. All you have to do is get them moving. They can be right a couple of times. You get them moving to what they're doing, and all of a sudden it just opens up what you can do. And with a defense that's already struggling and with no confidence, I mean, that's a recipe for a 50-burger. Absolutely. Well, let's uh... – you know, I, I think it's it's it, it's bad in Bowling Green. So now let's let's go to Shark Humper territory. Missouri takes on Central Michigan. We can look ahead a little bit on that uh, because we're going to we're going to obviously focus a lot on the Clemson Georgia game next week, mm-hmm. next week's episode, um, and and we got to we got to talk uh, schedule wise on on next week's episode because it's going to be it's going to be kind of helter skelter because I have a Thursday game and so my my podcast schedule is going to be getting. Uh, disrupted a little bit, but um, I think with Central Michigan now that becomes that becomes an interesting game now because you know Jim McElwain, the Shark Humper, um, when he comes back off vacation and puts his clothes back on, they're actually pretty pretty they're actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. He is fifty five and thirty seven overall. He was he's eight and six. Um, He's eight and six in his in his stint at uh, Central Michigan, three and three overall last year. Um, he's the the Chippewas are are they're an f- interesting team because they're slowly on the rise. The offense was able to run well. Um, they were able to steadily score. There weren't a whole lot of big problems. There were a lot of big problems on third down. That's where they struggled. Uh, they had a hard time over overcoming a struggling defense on the other side, meaning that their defense was letting teams score at will, and they had they had a hard time keeping up because they were so inconsistent and they were and they're bad on on uh, on third down. They have eleven starters coming back with a few key transfers. That's always good. Daniel Richardson, um, a short quarterback, but he throws the ball well. He's 64% on his throws. Um, he had 769 and, and uh, four scores with two with just two interceptions in six games um, it, with, with a team that probably didn't throw as much as, as everybody else in their conference. But uh, Khalil Pimbleton, uh, he's a former Virginia Tech transfer. He, is, uh, he comes in, immediately becomes the number one target there. Um, he's not <laughs> – John Leggett wouldn't like him because he's not a deep threat. Obviously, but uh, you know you have Jacory Sullivan, Dallas Dixon, also um, in, in, in the mix of some pass catchers there. The line struggled. Uh, the O line, um, they're more of a they're more of a, a, a run based offensive line. They do really well in the run game. Um, they, they have trouble pass protecting, but that's okay. Um, 
their team that they return. Uh, they had an all-conference tackle, Derek Smith. They have five starters expected back, so they can only go up. This is kind of like a a lot of experience coming back. So they're like they're like the Ole Miss defense. Like all they can do is really go up. And you know when you look at the Chippewa defense, um, they they're expecting ten starters back over there, right? But you know you're bringing back ten starters off a of putrid defense. Is that really beneficial? Yeah, or not? Yeah. You know, yeah, whenever you play the returner starter games, but the defense wasn't good the year before, it, that's all that means are you're bringing back a bad defense. Do you really want those yeah. starters again? But yeah. but you know you you also look at the flip side of that coin, Steve, and say, well, you know you can look at the you can look at it through the Ole Miss lens. Well, we got a bunch of starters coming back off a of bad defense, but they've got a year of seasoning now. Yeah, if you look at Ole Miss's defense to bring them back. There's five guys that are now backups because new starters have come in. So that's a that's a backup group that has played a ton of football. You yeah, might be able, that's a little bit of a different story, but I mean they completely replaced the middle of that defense. Yeah, and either way you look at it, you've got some guys now with some experience, and you got some rotational guys that and guys that are going to get in important minutes somewhere down the road are all coming back. So that's in a way that's good but in a way also again who knows like if, if you were horrendous on defense i don't know that i want 10 starters coming back <laughs> i, I, I want to replace some of those guys so mm. um when, when you when you look at this matchup obviously it's, it's an interesting one um you know you, you you have a team that's good at running the ball missouri uh, again that they, they had their own defensive struggles but then again, Connor Basilic is somebody that I think is going to have an absolute awesome time against this defense because they are so bad against the pass. I think you're going to see big numbers from Missouri. This is going to be one of those games where Missouri's going to struggle a little bit early, just trying to get some things going. You're going to have a you're going to have a Central Michigan team that's playing really, really hard. Uh, in, in the first quarter, and they're gonna they're gonna give them some fits, and they're gonna give them some looks that they probably haven't seen before. And there's gonna be guys that make plays, and you're looking and you're looking at it going, wait, who, who is this guy? And then the about right before halftime, there's gonna be a couple uh, haymakers thrown by Missouri, and the game's gonna be busted wide open. But um, you know that, that's kind of how I see this going. Like Central Michigan is like one of those pesky MAC teams that you really don't want to play ever because they're just going to give you fits all day. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, I I have Missouri winning this game by probably two touchdowns. Um, and the yeah. you know Connor Basilak reminds me of a freshman Matt Corral. So with seasoning, I mean they have really good things to come. And I'm curious to see what year two will look like for him. Um, but yeah, I think Missouri should win this game and fairly easily. Yeah, I mean Missouri is only thirteen point favorites in this, yeah. so that should tell, that should tell you a little bit about what Central Michigan's bringing back, the the level of coaching they have. I think I think I think a lot of what where Michigan where Central Michigan is getting some credit is in coaching with, with Jim McElwain. Like he's getting a little bit more respect. Uh, Scott Leffler is not. Um, Scott Leffler's they're basically like surprised that he's still there. But um, you know, I think I think they're longing for the days of Dino Babers at at uh at Bowling Green. So 
Uh, but you look at Central Michigan team, they should be a little bit more competitive in the, in the MAC conference this year. That's usually like the MO of MAC teams is um, outside of like a couple a couple of programs in the MAC is is like you're it's it's like the it's like the NF, uh, NFC South, right? There's a different team that wins the conference every year, and you have no idea what's going to happen year in year in and year out. So, um, and you know how, you know, have no idea how how the how that conference is going to shake up from year to year. But you you, you know that Central Michigan is always going to be pretty solid, and they're going to be solid again this year. So that's going to be like that's going to be one of those like out of all the out of outside of Alabama, Miami, uh, Louisville, Ole Miss, UCLA, LSU, and Clemson, Georgia. The Missouri Central Michigan game is probably the most interesting when you step outside of those games. Yeah, absolutely. Also, Dark Sage nine one one seven. Yeah, you're a diehard Army fan, and I've noticed over the last few years there seems to be a lot more respect and honesty when teams play us in Navy, and they tend to tend, from my experiences, to be much more conservative with Army and Navy than they are against any other team. I'm curious, as a fan of the Service Academy School, why do you guys think that is? Is there a certain level of respect the university has towards Navy and Army? Um, yes, there's a certain level of respect, respect teams have whenever they suit up against Army and Navy. Also, I believe their schemes are different enough that forces teams to respect what they're doing, even if you don't necessarily um, – respect the athlete in front of you as as an athlete as a football player what they're actually doing is a little bit it's going to cause a little bit of fear in you a little bit of respect in you but yes there will always be a respect level with the service academies yeah i mean you you got to respect them because they're good enough to beat you if you don't like navy navy made that abundantly clear like before navy went on their run with ken niamatololo um teams were ah, it's just a service academy. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll 50 piece them and move on. Now it's like, okay, like these teams are for real. Like Navy beat a few people in, in the late 2000s, early 2010s. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, like, like Jake Thomas said, army took Oklahoma to the brink a few years ago mm-hmm. with, with, uh, with Jeff Monken. And, you know, th- these teams aren't pushovers anymore. And there's some athletes that go to these service academies that are really good and, and they fit really well into these schemes and you're seeing these service academies play their ass off. Like Army, mm-hmm. like I, I know you're a Navy guy, Steve, but yeah. you know, watching that, you know, watching Army play football is fun. Like they're not like, and I think Navy to a certain degree is starting to evolve a little bit too. But they've taken this like triple option niche system. Mm-hmm. They've expanded it and modernized it and give it some different looks and, and gone from under center to gun and, and to, to, to putting people in different, all different types of spots. And, and so it's a lot of fun to watch now because those offenses have become much more dynamic. And, um, and when, when you, when you prepare for them, it's a lot more difficult because they have those same triple triple option mm-hmm. uh, principles, but now they're doing it from different formations. And sometimes even like, base formations that you would get from spread teams and and it makes it really difficult so you you almost have to respect them and 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 i do and and, um and and dark sage you're you're an army guy um i i'm and i'm not saying i really like army right now because because you're you're commenting on our on our thread here but uh i i was a big jeff monken fan when he was at georgia southern i I thought he did tremendous work at georgia southern um I, i thought he earned that army job and i thought he was a perfect fit for that 
I'm a huge Ken Niamatololo fan too. I, I just think he's a class act and the way he the way he runs his program and the way that they they play and compete is, you know, you have to respect them because they're a competitive American athletic conference team. So yeah. and also um their uniform game, both of them, is strong. Absolutely strong. Um yeah. Yeah, but great questions, and yes, it is about rivalry and competition, and it's it's going to be a little bit different with the service academies. It's not going to be necessarily as mean-spirited because, all honesty, with the service academies, they're all on your team. There is no rivalry. Um, no. So, yeah, I mean, as, as somebody that roots for Navy, act, actively roots for Navy, was in the Navy, um, I understand whenever I see that Army-Navy game, hey, they're all teammates, even though they're playing against these. It's just a different level of competition. It's it's a it's a big it's an intense rivalry on that day. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, when, when they're out when they're out there um, firing bullets and in, 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 in wartime, they're all on the same team. But and we we appreciate them just as equally. And and mm-hmm. uh, you know they, they do they do great things for this country, and they do great things for the sport of college football too. So. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't discount that. And they do bring that rivalry aspect to it that that's a lot of fun. It's a fun rivalry because you have these schools are dressed up in their uniforms, you know, and, and they're just going crazy for their teams. And it's 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 a lot of fun to watch the pageantry yeah. and all the traditions that they have marching in and things like that. It's, it's just a lot of fun. College football doesn't become what it is today without Army and Navy back in the 30s and 40s, 50s. That time yeah. frame, that pageantry bled over to other things. Rivalries were built. Next thing you know, we you have what we have here, and it's all because of those service academies. Yeah, exactly. So, but Steve, that's I mean, we're 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 nearing the close end of it. You're you're the man with a clock, so um, yeah. you you tell me when to shut up. But um, you know, look, looking ahead, there's a, there's an interesting slate of games next week. We will we will dive into each game um, in the SEC East and, and just kind of tell you what what the expectations are. Which, looking at the slate, there ain't much expectation out, outside of two games here in in, in this division. Um, but y- you know, we're going to give you some storylines for these games. We're going to pick all of the conference games um, as well, uh, just to be fun and, and probably look at the national slate and, and pick that one. But before we go, Steve, uh, Nebraska or Illinois, who, who are you going with? I I think Nebraska is going to win. I'm actually rooting for Illinois. I'm actually a fun, huge Burt guy. And I just enjoy rooting for Brett Bielema for whatever reason. I actually enjoyed him when he was in Arkansas. So I'm going to root for Illinois. And their new uniforms are just fire, just straight fire. Mm-hmm. They they do like the navy blue and orange color scheme is mm. is, is top notch and mm. um, so for for that I like them. Uh, Bert Bielema is a great fit in the Big Ten, not mm. so great fit at, at Arkansas. That's okay though. He he learned that the hard way, but he had to learn. Right? Mm. Um, was 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 good for Wisconsin, but just good to be just good for him to be back in the Big Ten where he belongs um, at, with an Illinois program that desperately needs some resurrecting, and I think they get it because. Let's be honest. Nebraska is a tire fire. I, I don't think Nebraska wins this game. I, I think you're going to see Illinois win this game, or at least cover. And it's just it's things are going from bad to worse. And uh, line started at ten. It's down to six and a half, I believe. Yeah, I mean it's it's getting mm. it's getting pretty tight. So yeah. um, Nebraska fans are worried and should be. Mm. So 
Uh, but that's gonna we're we're gonna wrap up right there. Okay. Um, you know, I I'm interested. I'm not really. You know, it's obvious who's going to win the UCLA Hawaii game, but I think that's going to be that's going to be interesting to watch um, in in the nightcap with uh, you know UCLA just seeing what they what they bring to the table, uh, getting ready for that LSU game next week. But um, I uh, this was fun, man. I'm glad you I'm glad you were able to pinch hit. Mm-hmm. Um, glad we were able to get some some more people on the chat. Dark Sage, thank you, Jake, as always. Uh, our co-producer Jake Thomas uh, bringing up the uh, bringing up the topics. Uh, everybody else that participated in the chat, we appreciate it. Uh, give us a follow, give us a like, subscribe. All of our information you can see it down on the bottom of the screen. Tweet at us. Uh, maybe maybe it'll make the the tweets after dark uh, rotation. Um, and uh, you can catch me on um, SEC After Dark with my man Steve over here um, and, and Jeb Beecham. We, we've got a. Uh, We've got a three-man weave going over there, so uh, catch us there. Glad to have Jeb back on that. You catch me on Believe in Georgia Dogs. Uh, we we uh, we put out a show this past Tuesday. We're going to be putting out another one this coming Tuesday uh, to start the season, and then we will be on a Thursday rotation. Uh, our man Jake Thomas, you can catch him on Best of the West uh, mm-hmm. in the Tide Talk podcast. Steve, uh, you've got the pod, you got the Palmcast every day, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and you can catch me on the Believe Network on about four different shows, Illegal Motion as well. Uh, and Jake Thomas is also on the Believe Network. But we all come at you uh, on the video sh- on the video screen uh, from Willis Digital Media. We appreciate that. So make sure you subscribe, hit that bell, um, and, and just just join in on the fun because that's what it is. This is going to be a ride, man. This is going to be a fun season. Glad to have football back at full bore. So let's uh, let's rock and roll. Uh, next week, man, SEC kicks off, but there is no more Saturdays without college football. Yeah, and real quick before we get out of here, Dark Sage, um, give us a follow on Twitch. Look at our schedule. I have the schedule up over there, and you can see that we we have shows every day of the week. This is actually a, a very special um, episode. It's normally on Monday night. So yeah, we had, uh, we had some. We had, we had to some, bump it. Yeah, we, we had to we had to rearrange the schedule a little bit. Um, because I'm a high school football coach and so is Israel. So we had to kind of rearrange the schedule and we had an opening on Thursday. So we were able to just uh, switch some things around. So um, I am thankful uh, that the schedule worked out next week. We're going to have to try to figure something out as well. So, um, but for Steve Willis, pinch hitting in for Craig Ladd, uh, I am Corey Burton. This is the beast of the East podcast on the Believe podcast network and Willis digital media home of the Palmcast. So long. See you later. We'll see you back next week. It'll be officially SEC game week. Yeah. So long. Goodbye. I need a catchphrase. One second. Just a second. We're almost clear. I needed to refresh just to make sure that it Everything recorded in. Gotcha. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.